So the main point where we're going this morning, I have it can't be done alone. What can't be done alone? Uh, disciple making cannot be done alone. When God's church works together toward his will, then Jesus-like disciple making starts to happen in our lives and it spreads to others who spread it to others. And that is D3. So you take it to one and then take it to another. Okay, so it's, it's a generation to a next generation. It's a, it's a disciple in church to somebody outside the church. The point being that Pastor House doesn't have to lead the third person to, to the Lord because the second person was trained up in the way they should go and how, and how they should be able to do that. Okay, so we're in John chapter 14. And I'm not going to say that I like looked at this scripture and I was inspired by that. I may have stuck this in the scripture and it kind of fits together. So I'm not really proud of how that meshed together, but it is what it is. And um, just so you know that you're like, well, you really took God's word out of context of this morning. Well, that might be that might be strike three, Judy, right? Uh, I don't think I did. I just expounded on maybe a little bit more than what's there. So I asked for a little bit of grace this morning. Um, so John chapter 14, verse 22, Judas, not Judas Iscariot, but the other disciple with that name, because Judas Iscariot, what's he doing right now? He's off betraying Jesus. Said to him, Lord, why are you going to reveal yourself only to us and not the world at large? In other words, he wants to see the rest of the story. What's the rest of the story? Um, when are you going to reveal yourself? But let's pause the story right here, because what do we know is going to happen that Judas doesn't know? What do we know? What's Jesus about to do? Yeah, he's about to be crucified, isn't he? Right? He's about to die on the cross, and in turn, that rescues us from this present evil age. And then what's he do three days later? Raised from the dead. That's right. And then about 50 days after that, what do we know happens? Yeah, the, the ascension. He goes back to be with God the Father. So then, the ascension in heaven, right before he goes up, he commissions us, doesn't he? One of the very last things that he says to us in Matthew 28, it's actually the last thing that's recorded by Matthew, I think intentionally, because it is the Great Commission. What does it mean to be commissioned? It means to be sent. Okay, As disciples of Jesus Christ, we are to go. Does that mean we need to go to Africa? Well, if God calls us to Africa, that's where we, we need to go. But if God calls us to go to our office, if God calls us to go to Methodist, OSF, or Caterpillar, or to your school, to Limestone, Norwood, Monroe, wherever that may be, we need to listen and obey, right? And so Jesus came and told his disciples. This is a little bit of a change in Jesus' speech because he declares, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Why has Jesus been given all authority? What has he just done? What's that? He's God's son. Yep, he's God's son. And he proved that through what? death and resurrection, 
And so therefore, since he's defeated death, God knows that he can handle the power and authority that's vested on God the Father. Right? So he gives it to the Son, and the Son, when he gets back to heaven, he'll give it back to the Father, and then they kind of share it afterwards because it says the Father gives it back to the Son. But I think that's kind of a molding, a, a meshing of the, the Spirit and God and the Son all back together. I don't know, that's just me. I can't really give you Scripture to say that, but I, I kind of wonder if once we're in the presence of the Lord, that he won't have to necessarily manifest himself into three pieces anymore. But he has the ability to do that. So all authority has been given to, in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So let's look at this passage of Scripture in Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. These are some very good memory verses, by the way. We've kind of been sticking some of those, but I put something in place in the bulletin for the memory verse. But Matthew 28, 18, 18 through 20 should be something that you want to memorize. Jesus has been given all authority in heaven and earth, and he tells his followers, it might be a good idea... Do you think that you could? How about, I was kind of wondering if. No. He doesn't say, uh, hey, what, what are you doing this weekend? He commands, go, make disciples. Okay? Go and make, baptize. Those are the three commands we're commanded to do. Right? Go, make, baptize and baptize. Go. So when I say go, when Jesus says go, when I say go, when Jesus says go, I think he means go where you are. Because look at what Peter does. Look at what John's and James and and the disciples, where do they make disciples? Where they are. Where do they go? They don't go far. They go back to Galilee for a while. They come back to Jerusalem and then they go out from there. So go where you are. Go where you work and make disciples. Go where you are schooling. Go where you do friends. Go where you have family and make disciples. So making disciples, I think, starts with prayer. It starts with intersecting the gospel message into your conversations it doesn't have to be, uh, have you accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? Have you not? We say this prayer and we're, no. Maybe it's, um, wow, I cannot believe what's going on in the world today. Yeah, that's, it's really crazy, isn't it? Where do you find your hope when you get into situations like this? Yeah, that's where we find our hope. They may be like, well, you know, I just find it family and things and, and you're just waiting. You're just waiting. Wow, that's interesting. How are they doing with it? Oh, they're having anxiety. Wow, that doesn't sound very hopeful. Well, where do you find your hope? Wow, well, I'm glad you asked. Right? And then be bold enough to have an answer of Jesus Christ. I'm just like you. I can't find hope in my friends and my family or myself. I can't do that. The only thing that I can find concrete is my hope in Jesus Christ. 
because he's the author and the sustainer. Yes, there is chaos in the world. But guess what? That only points that we need a savior. That we're not basically good people. That we're basically evil and we're selfish. And we need something and someone that is bigger and better than that. And then baptizing them in the name of the Father and Son, the Holy Spirit, is moving in the process of sanctification, which is moving them toward holiness to be like Jesus. Okay, that's the sanctification process. If I want to be sanctified, I want to be more like Jesus. Woo! Right? So we had baptisms a few weeks ago. The problem with baptisms that um, was pointed out to me on Thursday was that there are two stories to baptism. We heard CJ's story. A baptism. You know what we should have also done? We should have heard Linda's and Angie's story and how they brought CJ to church when he was younger and how they've worked through the process of coming alongside CJ and things and, and taught him the gospel and things. And then we could have turned to Trinity and, and she told her story a little bit of that side about um, how her mom and dad and older sister, but there's, there's still a story there. Right? And how she's come to know the Lord. And Audra and Macy, I, I was privileged to be part of that story, but that, that story started clear back when we first started Vacation Bible School. That's where they came to, to kind of know Jesus. And I hear that a lot in our, in our school system today. This is what I hear. And I was talking about the Bible the other day, and my kids had no clue who I was talking about. And I was convicted. Wow, we got to get them to, into church. I haven't seen that family yet, but I pray for that family. Right? Audra and Macy, they got into church and they ate it up. They were sponges and they learned it fast. And I think that only comes from the power of the Holy Spirit. It doesn't matter how good you deliver it and how you could give the worst delivery if the Holy Spirit is in it, they are going to get it, right? You need to, uh, Jesus loves, I, um, and he forgives. And I, I, do, you, do you want to have a relationship like that? What, there's a God out there that wants to forgive me? Yeah, that's what I said. Yes, I didn't say that at all, but that's what they just heard, right? And Jesus has a way, the Holy Spirit has a way to get his message through clear if your heart is willing, if your faith is put out there, and if you're ready to go and walk with him. It's amazing. Audra and Macy, like they said, started coming to Bible study. Um, we started intersecting in their relationship um, with the Lanterns at home. Their grandpa is a strong Christian, and their grandma was a very strong Christian, uh, she's passed away. I think that was one of the wake-up calls. we got to get these kids in church so they know what, what happens when you die. And then they started coming to the Bible study, and, and they were poured into with Beth and Amy and Jesse and Bethany. And we came alongside those, and we're at, able to answer those hard questions. And then I finally cornered them and said, Now's the time. I know you know. I know it's up here. I know there's a struggle to let it come down here. I know there is. Not so much in Macy, but I could see an Audra for sure. And um, that surrender's hard. It is hard. It's the hardest thing, I think, to let go of because 
you want to control. We want to control our lives, don't we? We want to be like, oh, if I don't get this just right, um, then I, I, life's messed up. But guess whose job that is? That's God's job. And if you let go and let the Spirit guide you in that, he's like, oh, yeah, that makes so much sense. Because now I can depend on him. He could take my worries and my anxieties as well as my joys and my cares. And I can do life with a God who loves me. That's pretty exciting. So there's two sides of a story to a baptism. And now the pro- we have the promise that the Holy Spirit lives in our lives. Now ask again the same question that Judas did. Not Iscariot, but the other one. Where, when are you going to reveal yourself? And lots, we can struggle with that too, can't we? We want to like, Lord, where are you? Our nation is dying to know you as a Savior. Our community is dying to know you as a Savior. We're being divided left and right in this nation, either politically or all the things. They'll take anything that's opposites and they'll divide us today, whether it's gender, they, what, just anything they can. It's crazy. And I, I see a time where they're going to take and start pointing fingers and it's going to be at Christians. And we have to own up to some of that responsibility, but um, the way, they're not, that's not how they're going to be pointing fingers. Where they're going to be pointing fingers is, uh, they're the problem. They're the problem. And that's when the church will be persecuted. And do you have a foundation to stand all by yourself? We were talking about this on Thursday as well. The church in Vietnam, after everything was pulled out, after the war, they... They started going after the leadership of the church. They started going after the missionaries. They started pulling all those people, started coming out of the church. All they had left were congregants. And I'd like to say, as a pastor, that the church died that day. But that's just not the truth. The church actually took off. And it went down to like 16,000 people, and it boomed to like 1.6 million and like, in 10 years, it was taking over um, Vietnam. And it wasn't, they didn't have traditional church. They didn't have a uh, church where you come in to have a building, but they had prayer groups. And they, they learned from God's word. They didn't have anybody, any structural leadership. They had God's word. And they depended on it. And they looked and saw how Jesus lived. And they walked and they did life like Jesus. And then they taught their children how to do life like Jesus. And they taught these people over here who were suffering how to suffer like Jesus suffered. And they taught these people over here that were having the glory. And they taught them how to give that glory to God. And they made disciples of Jesus. Not disciples of their pastor. So then Bill Allison challenged us with, Is there too much of you in your church? Is there too much of you in your church? That's a tough question to ask for your pastor because I want to say no. But I know that's not the case because it seems like everything that we do around here I'm involved in. And that's tough. Anything that we're doing well... 
I guess not well. <laughs> I, I, I have a hand in. And I don't know if that's the right thing to happen as a church. So when are we going to reveal ourselves? What's Christ about to do? He's about to die on the cross, and then he's about to be raised again. And ten days after Jesus gets to heaven, he pours out the Holy Spirit for the first time. And that's enough. Right? We didn't need Peter and the Holy Spirit. Because what did we find out about Peter? He can, he can let you down. Just like Pastor House can. Why? Because we had the Christ's power and authority in our hearts. When, we, when are you going to reveal yourself, Lord? When my church follows my commands. Teach them to obey my commands. Teach them to obey. Don't just hear it. Teach them to obey it. And that's hard. It's a hard lesson. What's our main purpose as a church? We're supposed to give God the glory, right? So if, if that's the main purpose, I could also say the inverse of that would be true, right? I believe the inverse of that would be not to give me the glory. So I need to die to self. I need to surrender that glory to the Lord. That is what we would call justification or um, salvation also. So how do we keep the main thing the main thing? How do we keep giving God the glory? We've got to come back and revisit it every once in a while, and that's kind of what we're doing today. But it can't be done alone. God designed the church to work together. Right? Agree or agree, disagree on that one, because otherwise we can just quit <laughs> doing church, because that's why we're here. God told us to. Jesus told us he's going to work through the church. When God's church works together toward his will, then Jesus-like disciple-making starts to happen in our lives, and it spreads to others who spread it to others. John 14, 23 through 25 says, Jesus replied to this question of Judas. He says, all who love me will do what I say. My Father will love them, and we will come and make our home in, with each of them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey me. And remember, my words are not my own. What I am telling you is from the Father who sent me. I am telling you these things now while I am still with you. Why is he telling them now while he's still with them? Because he's about to die and not be with them. It's going to be the hardest part of their time, their ministry in their ministerial lives when Jesus leaves them. It's going to be hard. If we love Jesus, we will obey his commands. What are his commands? Well, we break down the commands that white rose like this. Love God, love others, and make disciples. Right? It's the greatest commandment followed by the Great Commission. And we have to remember those things. Love God, love others, and make disciples. So love God like 
What's this look like? It's in Mark chapter 12, verse 28b through 30. And I'm going to read 31 as well because that goes right into loving others. Of all the commands, which is the most important, Jesus replied, The most important commandment is this. Listen, O Israel, the Lord our God is the one and only Lord, and you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your mind, and all your strength. And then we need to love others. The second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. Where in the world does he get these things from? What does the Hebrew rabbi who asked Jesus this question, what does he know? We say that prayer three times a day. There's a reason why we say that prayer three times a day. So we remember those are the greatest commandments. Jesus went right back to what everybody knew in that culture and that they're supposed to do, but you're actually supposed to apply it to your life. Listen and obey it. And then he adds to it, Leviticus, I think it's 20, no, it's 29, I think it's 29, 12. Um, The second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. Well, How do you love God? By loving your neighbor. How do you love your neighbor? By loving God, obeying his commandments, and sharing God's love with your neighbor. So make sure you can't have one without the other. And if you do that, out of that, you'll get making disciples. Matthew 28, 18 through 20, can't disappoint you're going to read it three times, right? Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this. Be sure of it. I am with you always. That's great and not so great all at the same time. When I sin, not so great. When I'm in trouble, I love that he's there. (laughs) Sometimes I'm in trouble because I sin. And that just shows God's grace, doesn't it? He is still there. When I screw up, he's still there. When I'm in digging myself a hole, he's still there. And he will get me out of that to the very end of the age. What age is he talking about? I believe he's talking about the age of grace because really he's talking about forever, but that's going to be the next, next thing as well because God is forever. So how do we pour this out into our congregation If we're supposed to love God and love others and make disciples, how can we pour that out into our congregation? And I would say that's through mutual community. Mutual community. Unfortunately, Sunday morning preaching to the congregation or the student-teacher model is not the best model for mutual community. And if you look at this, I struggle with this as a pastor. Because I'm up here teaching you. 
I'm putting myself on a pedestal, literally on a pedestal. So you can learn. Right there, there's too much Shane in this, in this equation, right? It comes down to this needs to be on the pedestal. God's word needs to be on the pedestal. And we need to study God's word, to live it, to apply it to our lives. And yes, it's nice, it's, it's comfortable to come sit in the pews every Sunday, but I really don't think this is a biblical model of mutual community. I think we see mutual community in worship. I think we see mutual community in the coffee time afterwards. I think it would be better if we were talking about uh, God's word in the coffee time afterwards. Then it would be true mutual community. But I don't know if this is mutual community. This is more of a Western world preaching. And I'm trying to think, you know, I'm, the requirements of an elder, they don't even say anything about preaching. If you look at uh, 1 Timothy chapter 3, I think it's verse 2, it talks about opening your homes and hospitality. And it talks about teaching God's word. It doesn't say anything about preaching. I think preaching is a result of teaching. That's what mutual community is. And that's something that we're going to wrestle with. I've already brought it up a couple of times. But we're going to wrestle some more with the elder board. Open your Bibles. Here's another good example. Open up to Romans chapter 1, verse 12. Romans chapter 1, verse 12 has mutual community in it pretty well. It's something that that Bill Allison guys taught me. Acts, Romans. Huh, it's like I already had a bookmark there. It's crazy. All right. This is the New Living Translation. Romans chapter 1, verse 12. Wait for the flips to go through because I want you to read it with me if you have New Living Translation. It goes like this. When we get together, I want to encourage you in your faith, but I also want to be encouraged by yours. So when we get together, I want to encourage you in your faith, but I also want to be encouraged by yours. Who wrote that? Who wrote Romans? Paul did. Paul wrote Romans. Out of all the preachers in the world that ever lived, I think Paul might, other than Jesus, <laughs> right? Paul was able to blend the Eastern style and the Western style of learning and teaching and together the best. He still had expectation to learn from their faith. When we get together, I want to encourage you in your faith, but I also want to hear stories about yours. Has anybody had something exciting happen this week that Jesus has done in your life? I'd love to hear it. 
But we don't come with the expectation of, of, of remembering those things, do we? Sometimes I'm like, oh yeah, something happened, but I don't remember. So we don't do that at White Rose. I think that needs to change. I think we need to share those things. So when we come up to get baptized, it's not so scary to talk in front of the whole congregation because it happens. Right? This is what the Lord's been convicting me of this week. This is what I've been working on, I've been wrestling with. I wanted to share that with you this week. Do you have two or three that you could get together with? What's this passage of Romans 1.12? What's it saying? It means that I can learn from somebody else's faith and they can learn from mine. As a pastor, I am a student as well. That's one reason why I'm kind of excited that my degree is about as weak as it gets because it doesn't allow me to get on a pedestal of, well, I went to Dallas Theology Center and I know that if you break this passage... I'm glad there's pastors out there that can break passages down. I am glad that they are great preachers. But I want to know about their mutual community as well. It is so easy to get isolated as a pastor. It's so easy to accept the pedestal as the pastor as well. And I don't think that's right. You know, Brian said yesterday, um, I'm here, I can pray. I thought that was a great response, Brian. That's the right response. And there's, there's nothing wrong with that. I just was excited to see that, that you were willing to do that because we need to be in mutual community, working together, uh, building up relationships Church, we are built on relationships as equals. We take what we have learned and we pass it on. We are not storage vats to hold this for God or ourselves. We're here to pass it on. You guys remember that old hymn? Back in the, I think it was written in 67. So it is an older hymn. It's called Pass It On. I started singing it with my kids at night at bedtime. Um, It goes like this. It goes, It only takes a spark to get a fire going. And soon all those around will warm up in its glowing. That's how it is with God's love. Once you've experienced it, you spread his love to everyone. You want to pass it on. It's him, right? When we've experienced God's love, you can't help but want to pass it on. That's a campfire song that was, we never sang that at our church because that was a youth song. I thought that was hilarious because I'm like, a youth song? It was written in 67. 
That was, that was reserved for youth to do. Not us adults. I, I was flabbergasted at that. I couldn't believe that. That is not what the Lord has taught me. That's not what He's put in my nature to do. And I can't withhold this from my congregation. I have to let you know God's Word is meant to be passed on. And if you're not doing it, I question your relationship with Jesus Christ. I honestly do. It is hard for me to settle for just enough. I can't do it myself, so I'm not going to let you guys do it either. It's got to be something more than this. There's got to be more. Because if we see a dying world out there in this congregation is not doing anything about it, Jesus' church is stronger than that. I know the authority of my Lord and Savior is stronger than the death that's around me. I know it is. I've seen it in my life. I've seen it in other people's lives. I've seen transformed lives. And when kids come up into the youth room and they see it in the church and they're like, that's all there is? They want to see it in you. They want to see you doing the same things that they're being taught upstairs. I was teaching them this upstairs and I, I could see the block. They're not coming to church because they don't see it here. That's scary. And I can't, as a pastor, not take some of that responsibility because I haven't shared you with this. I'm sharing you my heart this morning. You're getting the, the nitty-gritty. Jesse said it during prayer. She talked about fruit. Fruit in the parables is expected. Right? Fruit in the parables is expected. If you read any parable that Jesus talks about, it always talks about bearing fruit. And when the tree isn't bearing figs, isn't bearing fruit, what does Jesus do? Chops it down or he curses it. We are called to bear fruit. Where does that start? I don't know how to do this, Pastor. I don't know. Well, it starts with training, so we can train you how to do that. Remembering that 20-second testimony I talked about and how we do that. But it starts with prayer. Guess what? If you're willing to do it, God's going to bring people on your path that need Jesus. He will do it. When you start surrendering people to him, Lord, this person needs Jesus in their life. I need to be able to pass it on. I asked the Lord earlier this year, Lord, you say there's going to be a harvest. I don't see a harvest. You asked for the harvest. I'm asking. We started, that's when COVID hit. Oh, great. Yay. Oh, boy. What happened to the youth group after COVID? Exploded. That's a weird answer to prayer. You can blame me for COVID now. We need to mobilize the church as a whole. You reach people that I can't. If you're trained the way you're supposed to go, you'll know how to share the gospel. Because, you know, I, was, I, I said this to my wife, and she laughed at me after I said this. But uh, 
I know why. I know why she laughed at me, so that's fine. But where did we see the whole church mobilize and we saw the community come together? We saw it at VBS, right? We saw kids get excited. We saw people get excited. And I said, why don't we do VBS every week? And she goes, <laughs> I know why. Guess who does most of the legwork during that, that week? She does. Maybe that's why it's easier week for me. I'm like, woohoo, baby, it's like vacation for me. But what, what do we also see? We see the pastor taking a, a role in it. We don't, see, we don't see Shane in the center and then a spoke of Jesse and, and Bethany and Craig and Craig and Josh all ministering off a Sunday morning sermon that spokes off the pastor, we see Jesus in the message, in the music, in the games. It's mutual community at its best. That's where we do it the best. Okay? Why is the treat tunnel so successful? Because we do mutual community there as well. It is a group event. It may be focused on fun and games, but that's when we get opportunities to intersect the gospel in there as well. We can show that it's okay to have fun and be goofy in church. It's okay. It's okay to be a sinner in church too. Right? How many people, how many, let's show of hands, how many sinners do we have in church? Everyone, right? We're all sinners. We've all fallen short of God's glory. It's okay. Because we have somebody that's going to rescue us. He is the hero of our story. He gets the glory. So how do we move from the student-teacher model to a Jesus-centered model? Here's one of the ways we can start. We start sharing testimonies. Who over the last year has had a significant change in their habits, their lifestyle, watching sin being defeated, reconciliation to others, or something of the like. It's what Christ has called us to do. God's really convicted me in this area. I wanted to share it with the congregation because I'm seeing success because before I was trying to do it under my own power and authority and now I'm doing it under the power of Jesus. Do I fall back into it? Yeah, I do sometimes. But man, I haven't seen conviction of sin like this in years and I am, I'm winning because of Jesus, Right? I want to hear those. I want to be able to share those. I want you to be bold enough. I want you to be bold enough to say, I'm struggling in this. I'm having a hard time in this area of my life. Because guess what? Confession a lot of times breaks the power of sin just in itself. I would ask you to pray for me during this. That's bold. That is bold Christianity right there. Do we have bold Christians in White Rose? All right. You, you want to come share something with me? I would love to. Tell me before the service. I have something to share. During announcement times, got something to share? We're going to share. We're going to pray about that stuff. Okay? Now, if you drone on, I might, I might yank your... Your mic cable, though, but that's all right. 
So come with a plan. That's what I'm asking you to do. Come with, maybe have it read out or have it at least an outline so you know what you're going to say. I think that's important too. Have a little structure in your testimony. So when was the last time you poured God's love into someone or had it poured into you? Did you let them know it? Here's another way that we can do this. Here's really good application. We need to be intentional about saying, I learned something from you today. Now, I don't want to, I'm not saying this because I want a bunch of you guys to say, you just taught me a whole different philosophy. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying if you saw, um, if you see Piper and Sawyer running around after church and, or Elowen and you see them slow down and make sure that they're, they're um, being courteous of adults and things, or if their voice level downstairs is crazy and they come upstairs and they're nice and quiet. I saw this in you today. I think that's really, I'm really encouraged by that, that you're learning this thing. Hey, I saw you up there today, Logan. You went all out for us. I appreciate that. I saw this in you today, right? You know one of the coolest things I've seen? Doris and I were talking about this a little bit. Doris didn't even know I'm going to say this. We got a little girl that doesn't even come to church except for on Thursday nights. Sometimes she'll come on on Sundays when she gets the courage. She deals with anxiety, and she surrendered her life to the Lord in COVID. Her name's Marissa. Marissa is blowing us away in mutual community, blowing us out of the water. She's doing life like Jesus is, and I'm tooting her horn. That's great. Um, Is Marissa perfect? Absolutely not. But she is reaching out to the lost, to the broken, to the new kids. Who's new? Doris's granddaughters are new. She's reached out to the hardest one to reach out to. She's befriended her, and she is coming alongside. Pray for Marissa. She needs our prayers. That's not an easy task to be, that person, to be the anchor, to come in. It's not easy. It's not easy moving into a new school. So pray for uh, Kyrie and Kira, too. They need prayers, too. And she's like, no. Because we love her, right? It's we care about her. We care about them both. So remember this. When you're trying to think of that, like what was, what was that intentional, being intentional, how was I supposed to say that? Write this in your bulletin. These four letters. I-C-N-U. I-C-N-U. Now speed it up. I see in you. I see in you. Jesse, I see in you. I see Jesus when you worship the Lord, when you share your heart this morning. I see that in you. Amy, I see in you, Jesus, when you're faithful and and you're able to come when it's not always easy. Brandy, I see in you, Jesus, when you prepare the lessons plans for all the, the kids and get VBS and community Bible study. My My wife is got the gift of administration, and it's, she uses it strong. I know other people do too. I see it, that in her. God is working through us, right? Some of us are going into a new ministry, 
mission field, right? Maybe you start a new job. Maybe you start hanging out in a new place. Think of it as an opportunity to share Jesus' love in a whole new way. My point in all this and learning something from somebody today is we don't necessarily have disciples, do we? Shane doesn't have disciples. Jesus has disciples. Right? I don't have any disciples of Shane. I want disciples of Jesus. I don't want that mantle because I don't want to be on this pedestal because that's not what Christ has called us to do. Remember, only Jesus has the disciples. The gospel comes to you and then through you to somebody else. As we're conduits of God's glory and praise, as it comes to us, we give it to him. So as the gospel comes to us and we give it to others. As the gospel has been given to you, you give it to others. It doesn't stop here. We're not a vat that collects God's glory. We're not a vat that collects God's grace, and we're just in that love. That's a result of it flowing in. It's going to, it needs to overflow out as well. And as it overflows out, the more will pour in. We are not here, we're not a stopping point for glory. That's what the problem Satan had, right? He sees this glory flowing to God, and he's like, I'm just going to stick my hand up there and just redirect that toward me, right? And he stole God's glory. And for that, God kicked him out of heaven. Well, it's not let him kick us out of heaven. This requires us to change our way of thinking, and a great place to start is in your bulletin. That's why I told you you need a bulletin this morning. It's also online if you want to get it on there too. But if you open your bulletin, you'll see this prayer in there. It's called the Disciple Maker's Prayer. It's something that we've gotten from Bill Allison. This is something that we started praying regularly on Thursday night. And I was going to say every Thursday night, except for we forgot to this Thursday. <laughs> so you got to remind me on that, right? Um, the Disciple Maker's Prayer. Do you have your bulletins? If you have your bulletins in front of you, will you read this with me? It's on the inside, yeah. It says, Heavenly Father, thank you for giving me a disciple-making way of life in, Jesus, in Christ Jesus. As I go through every part of this day, Help me to love you and to love the people who cross my path, starting with my family. Don't let me miss the adventures you are sending my way to live and to speak the good news about Jesus today. Draw my heart to you and to specific people you want me to pull close for Jesus-like disciple-making friendships. By your word and spirit, transform me into a follower of Jesus who loves you who loves people and makes disciples, who makes more disciples, ad infinitum. In Jesus' name, amen. Like I said, this is something the youth group's been doing. They ask about it. They ask about it. Are we going to do that prayer? It's something that's becoming 
their identity to be a disciple maker of Jesus Christ. And that's kind of scary, cool, right? Because if you get a group of kids like that, you better watch out. God's going to do something. He can do the same thing in a group of adults as well, can he? We have to be in prayer because the youth, they can't do it alone. When God's church works together toward his will, then Jesus-like disciple-making starts to happen in our lives and will spread to others will spread it to others. The final verse is, but when the fire, in verse 26 of John 14, says, but when the Father sends the advocate as my representative, that is the Holy Spirit, he will teach you everything and remind you of everything I have told you. Put the point as focus on Jesus. Last week, this is the point that I skipped. I put it down as don't drift. Well, let's talk positive instead of negative. Don't drift negative. So let's say focus on Jesus. It's the same thing, but it's a positive message. My mom taught me that one. He will teach you and remind you. He'll teach you salvation. He'll teach you the right way to go. And he'll remind you of that as well. And then he'll, so he'll teach you how to live now, light into my path and to my feet, and a light unto my path, in a sense, and then he reminds you down the road, the goal, a.k.a. heaven, right? So the Holy Spirit guides us in truth. Hebrews 2, 1. So we must listen carefully to the truth we have heard, or we may drift away from it. We have to remember the truth. We have to get back in God's word so we remember the truth. Who are two or three people that you can pull close for Jesus-like disciple-making friendships? I want to start this Bible reading plan. Will you start this Bible reading plan with me? And when we get together, we can talk about what God's worked on in our life. That could be a one way to start. I don't know how to read my Bible, so I want to come in and I want to learn the 66 Bible verses. Or maybe I need to learn how to do it inductively. Or this is a good place to start. My heart, Christ, home. And getting the philosophy of what it means to, to walk towards sanctification and confession. There can be husbands and wives teams. I don't think we ever write, read scripture and pray enough together as couples i think it's sometimes it's assumed but it's not something we always do don't get sidetracked by foolish arguments second timothy 2 14 says remember remind everyone about these things and command them in god's presence to stop fighting over words such arguments are useless they can ruin those who hear them Remember, the big question is, how do we give God the glory? We listen and obey. We love God, love others, and make disciples. It's as simple as that. It's hard to implement. The plan's simple. The process sometimes can be hard. We are to be a loving reminder. Second Peter 1.12 Therefore, I always remind you about these things, even though you already know them and are standing firm in the truth you have been taught. This is nothing new. 
in this philosophy of ministry. It's something that Jesus did thousands of years ago. Peter had to remind people just a few years after Jesus died. I have to be reminded sometimes a few minutes after I've just been told. Right? Yeah. Because the way we give and live disciple-making to others is the same way they will give and live their, it to their families and friends. So if we live it out properly, others will live it out properly. If we don't, if we take Christianity as a comfortable way, that's how they're going to do it too. I want to be comfortable. Christianity is not always comfortable. Christianity sometimes is hard. Jesus went up to the Pharisees and told them, right? Woe to you, you blind guides, you viper, brood of vipers. And they're like, Jesus, they're the ones in charge. Therefore, the way we should be the most, uh, therefore, the, the way we give should be the most like Jesus did as possible. Jesus went hard after the hypocrites, and he went with compassion for those who didn't know. Those who didn't know that there was a God who loved them. The Holy Spirit is there to convict us of our unrighteousness. Jude 1.15 says, He will convict everyone of all the ungodly things that they have done, and for all the, the insults and the ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Where do I get this? I did a word study on the word drift that we found, and um, these are all things that we can do to keep us from drifting away from the truth. Is there too much you in your ministry? Remember, Jesus needs to be the center, not the pastor, not you. We've had that problem in the past. We're not going to do that again. Matthew 20:18 says 18 through Matthew 18:20 says where two or three are gathered together as my fathers I am there among them. When it comes to making disciples, this is your blanks on the bottom of your page. Small is big. Meaning in God's hands, he can take two or three and he can multiply them into something much larger. Slow is fast. Because when we take time to study God's word and it penetrates our hearts, it overflows into other people and pretty soon it's multiplying faster than we can handle it. So small is big, slow is fast. Setting a foundation takes time to build off of and multiplication wins. Because we're not in that addition we're not here to evangelize people. We're here discipling people. And if you take and commit to discipling two people, and then they can disciple two other people, and they can disciple two other people, that explodes exponentially over the period of 13 years. If that model holds true, it will overtake telling one person and converting one person a day for 13 years, 365 people in a year. God works through multiplication. He doesn't work through addition. Multiplication wins every time. If we want to change 
the way we do ministry, it starts with two or three because small is big, slow is fast, and multiplication wins. It can't be done alone, though. God's church works together toward his will. Then Jesus-like disciple-making starts in our lives, and it spreads to others who spreads to others. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for convicting me of this message this week and being bold enough to share it with the congregation. Lord, now I set aside myself and I put you in the place. Lord, open up our eyes so that we can see what it means to pass it on. Lord, open up our hearts to be convicted on who we can pass this along to and open up our mouths to read your word in groups of two or three. The last verse of uh, Pass It On, it goes like this. It says, I wish for you, my friend, this happiness that I've found. You can depend on it. It matters not where you're bound. I'll shout it from the mountaintops. I want my world to know the Lord of love has come to me. I want to pass it on. I ask that you would pass it on this week with conviction. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.